There are some pretty important questions that we ask in our lives. Really important questions for us to ask. Questions like, well, how much will it really cost? Why should I trust you? Where is the toilet? (laughs) But I can't think of a more important question than the one we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. In Acts 16, 30, a bloke asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I can't think of a more significant, more essential question to ask. What is the way of salvation? How can I be right with God? How can I know God, know his forgiveness and be spared punishment for sin? Asking this question will change your life. It will change your life now and for eternity. Uh, Today we're going to meet uh, two households and one individual. People, uh, These people each learn the answer to this question. They're very different people. Uh, They have very different life situations. They learn the answer in different ways, but they all discover the same truth. So last week, uh, we left Paul, Silas and Timothy visiting the churches of Galatia. And they keep travelling and they find they they can't go to some places they wanted. Uh, They attribute this to the Holy Spirit being in control of everything that happens. Eventually they find themselves in Troas, which today is in northwest Turkey. Back in those days, the gateway to Europe. And in Troas, Paul has a dream. Uh, In the dream, a European-looking man, a Macedonian, begs Paul to come to Macedonia. Now, we didn't just read this just then because we read it last week, but have a look. Acts chapter 16, verse 9. So this is verse 9. Uh, During the night... Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, The next morning, Paul tells the rest of his mission team about the dream. They discuss it and conclude, well, maybe God wants us to go to Macedonia, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that's what they do. They head into Macedonia and make tracks for Philippi. Verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. For Paul and Silas, who are Jews of Jews, I reckon they probably feel a bit out of their depth. Culturally, this is a very different part of the world from where they've ever been before. Almost no Jewish people live in Philippi. Uh, We can tell this because on the Sabbath, they don't go to a synagogue. It's fair enough to assume they don't go to one because, well, there's not one to go to. There are not enough Jews in Philippi to establish one. Instead, they learn that a small gathering of Jews and and also non-Jews, Gentiles who have come to fear the God of Israel, they find out they meet outside the city by a river. And so that's where Paul and the mission team go. And when they get there, they find a group of women and they speak to them about Jesus. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
we sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I reckon uh, the team must be stoked. They got it right. God called them to take the gospel to Macedonia. Uh, Lydia, she appears to be a well-off woman, a businesswoman. She's in charge of her household. Uh, Maybe she's a widow uh, or has never married. Uh, She's someone who already knows the God of Israel. But now God has saved her, opened her heart to trust in Jesus. He's got Lydia from Thyatira, as you see there, it's in in modern-day Turkey, got her to Philippi so there she can hear the good news of Jesus. God is at work at Philippi. God brings Lydia from darkness to light, from death to life. And we're not told how long Paul and the team have been in Philippi, but it sounds like this is the first Sabbath. So no more than a week and already one household, a significant household, has been brought into God's people. And so Paul and the team stick around in Philippi. They keep teaching and encouraging Lydia and her household, this this seed of a church. And they keep going to the place of prayer every Sabbath, telling people about Jesus. Uh, But soon... They get noticed by a girl with a very different story from Lydia. Uh, This girl isn't well off. She hasn't got a positive reputation. She is deeply oppressed and abused. Oppressed by evil spirits and the men who own her. One Sabbath, Paul and the team get noticed by the enslaved girl. And the spirit within her starts shouting things at them and about them. Let's read from verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Now this sounds familiar. Unclean spirits did this to Jesus, speaking the truth of who he is. Why would a demon, why would an evil spirit do this? Well, it doesn't have to make sense. Evil isn't logical. Evil isn't smart. Evil isn't wise. So there doesn't need to be a plan or a reason. But if there was, maybe it was to discredit the gospel. Not all publicity is good publicity. Do you think it's a good idea for Paul and his and the mission team? Is it good for them to look like they're in league with an enslaved fortune teller? It's probably not. And so even though she shouts the truth, after some time Paul gets annoyed. 
I don't know if he's annoyed at the girl, but at the evil spirit and what it's doing to this poor girl as well as what it's doing to the spread of the gospel. And so one day, Paul turns around and commands the spirit to leave. No theatrics, no magic words. The name of Jesus and she is freed. Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, what I want to know is, was this girl truly freed? Did she come to trust in the Jesus who freed her? Did she come to believe that the gospel is the way of salvation? Did she believe the truth the evil spirit had put on her lips? We're not told, but I'd like to think it was the case. But we're not told because before Paul and the mission team have a chance to speak with her, before they get a chance to introduce her to the church and have her baptised, before they get a chance to do anything, her masters see what's happened, their golden egg laying goose is finished, and they stir up a riot. Verse 19. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders... He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Luke's very perceptive, isn't he? The enslavers use nationalism and racism to stir up the crowd. They stir up religious and anti-Semitic persecution, but they're just driven by greed. This young woman, created in God's image, was nothing but a money machine to them. And the magistrates, they're just manipulated by the crowd. They want to appease the crowd, play to popular opinion. And so they beat Paul and Silas to a pulp and lock them away. Sometimes believers will find themselves under attack not directly because of religious ideas, but because of the implications, the impact of their ideas. Paul and Silas aren't beaten because of what they taught about Jesus. They're attacked because living for Jesus lost two blokes a lot of money. At work, people probably don't really mind that you believe Jesus rose on the third day. That he's the only way of salvation. But because you won't lie to your customers, you won't overcharge them, because as a follower of Jesus, you speak truth and don't steal. Or because you speak up against dumping toxic waste in the river, because as a follower of Jesus, you care for God's creation, that may be what infuriates them, stops you getting promoted or or gets you the sack. 
Is this about freedom of religion? Well, probably not. But it is suffering as a Christian. Also, did you notice, persecution and oppression doesn't shake Paul or Silas's faith. They are beaten to a pulp, but they keep trusting Jesus. They keep praising God because they know they're sharing in Christ's suffering. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was whipped and beaten. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And Jesus meant it. Are you ready? Are you ready to believe what Jesus says? But the good news is, who is it that takes up their cross? It's the disciple of Jesus. The friend of Jesus. The magistrates and soldiers might be against them, but Jesus is with them. And so as they're locked up, Paul and Silas keep praising God. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Uh, Probably nicer than the screams and groans that usually filled the prison. I don't know whether Paul and Silas had a good voice, but surely better than what they're used to. And as they're praising God, God miraculously shows up. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now this earthquake, it's not really an earthquake, is it? Earthquakes don't normally undo locks and open doors, but the word gives us a picture of what God did and how scary it was, particularly for the jailer, because he freaks out. Not only because of the earthquake, that would have been scary enough, but he looks around and, oh, my prisoners have escaped. Paul and Silas, I was told to put them in the centre cell and to watch over them carefully, but they're gone. And he knows the fate that will await him in the morning. It's better he finishes himself off, he reckons, than face the shame that's coming in the morning. But he was wrong and Paul intervenes. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the right question to ask. How do I get saved? It's the question Lydia asked. It's the question the evil spirit knew the answer to. You might be wondering what he means by the question. What is it that he was really asking? What does he mean by salvation? Maybe he's figured the earthquake was no earthquake. It's the finger of Paul and Silas's God. And maybe he's thinking, oh dear, I'm on the wrong side of their God. And if their God can shake the earth, what's he going to do to me? To someone who sides with those who beat and tortured his messengers. Maybe he's also been listening to Paul and Silas sing. 
He's heard about their God, the one who saves his people. Maybe they've been singing about the amazing things Jesus has done and he wants to know that Jesus. Whatever the reason, Paul and Silas don't miss a beat. They answer with the best news. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, their answer doesn't quite fit the question. The question was, what must I do? The answer they give is, who must I trust? The answer is, there's nothing you can do because our sin is so deeply offensive against a good and glorious God. There's nothing we can do to be saved. No amount of religion can offset our sin. No amount of rituals, no amount of charity, no amount of good deeds. There's nothing the jailer or we can do To be saved. We deserve God's punishment. There's no way we can change that situation. What we need is Jesus. What we need is the once for all sacrifice for sin. The righteous one dying in the place of the unrighteous. The great exchange. Jesus dying the death we deserve to die. That by his resurrection we can live in him. What must I do to be saved? No, who must I trust? Who must I rely upon to be saved? It's Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And that's what Paul and Silas explain to the jailer. And they go to his home. They tell this good news to his household and they are all baptised into God's family. Verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family, his whole household, sorry. Uh, The double washing is a beautiful picture. The jailer washes their wounds. When you think about a Roman jailer, he was not likely a nice bloke. Who do you reckon the Romans employed to look after their prisoners, their criminals? This guy would have done a fair, done his fair share of beating people to a pulp. And yet he hears the good news of Jesus. He receives it and, and he's changed. He washes the wounds, wounds he was part of inflicting. He washes them, cleaning out the dirt and bringing some physical relief. And Paul and Silas baptise him and his household, a sign and seal of the promises of God that sin is washed away through faith in Jesus. In this account of the salvation coming to Philippi, There's a word repeated a few times. The word is household. It's repeated four times. In verse 15 we read, Lydia and her household are baptised. Then in verse 31, the answer given to the most important question, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And the jailer's household is mentioned again in verses 32 and 34. What's going on? 
I want to tell you a little story about myself. When I was studying at theological college, I was thinking hard about whether I'd become a Presbyterian minister. I had few options in front of me. Uh, was Presbyterianism the way I should go? I had positive vibes about the Presbyterian Church in Queensland because I knew Presby churches take the Bible seriously. They believe Jesus is the only way of salvation, that faith in Christ is the only way to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But I wasn't sure about the baptism thing because Presbyterian churches baptise those who profess faith and their children, their household. And I wasn't sure. Is this left over from Roman Catholicism or is it from the Bible? It was always a question I'd put into the too hard basket. I hadn't solved it through lectures and reading at college. I'd always thought, here was my plan. I thought, look, I'll work out this whole baptism thing when Anita and I have got children. But this was fourth year of college and they were both born. I was at an evangelistic event, an event uh, our church had put on where men had invited their friends to hear about Jesus and the speaker quoted Acts 16.31. And although his point had nothing to do with infant or covenant baptism, I was struck by this language of household. The words on Paul's lips to this jailer, you and your household will be saved. And I came to see that the big story of the Bible, in the big story of the Bible, God deals with households. We default to thinking about individuals, but God deals with households. Not only with the jailer and Lydia, but also Cornelius in Acts 10 and Abram in Genesis 12. God calls and gives promises to Abram and his household. God's grace isn't just for Abram. The sign of circumcision isn't just for the man of faith. But the promises are for his descendants, his household. What is a household? In the ancient world, it's not just dad, mum and the kids. Ancient households would have included children, yes, and extended family. Grandparents, aunties and cousins and also servants and slaves and, and maybe free citizens who had come under the patronage of the household. And in Acts 16, it's households who are baptised and there are no exceptions mentioned. No one has said, oh, no thanks, that's not for me. They were baptised based on the faith of the head of the household, Lydia and the jailer, which fits with the practice of baptising not only those who profess faith but their children. Now, I admit this is not a cut and dry argument, Christians who love Jesus and who take the Bible seriously have disagreed about this since at least the 1500s. And we have to be careful about arguments from silence. For example, the Bible doesn't say if children were in these households. Maybe there was no one under the age of, say, 10 or 12 or 14 in the households. Maybe... Paul knew in verse 31, when he makes that promise and that pronouncement about households, maybe he knew before the fact that every member of the jailer's household would at that time receive the gospel. There does seem to be a positive response in verse 34, though there is a question, what does that mean? Did all of them each individually believe at that moment? 
There are, may, there are lots of things. Now, on Bible study on Tuesday night, we kept saying the repeated refrain was, gee, it'd be nice if Luke gave us just a little bit more information. There's some things we wish Luke would have spelled out a little bit more explicitly. It would have been nice because it would have saved disagreements between genuine Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree on this point, point of view. It'd be really nice if we had every single detail. But I think even with some questions left unanswered, This was the passage that convinced me that the Bible teaches household baptism, that what the Westminster Confession says about baptism, and that's what all Presbyterian ministers and elders sign up to as their confession of faith, it convinced me that it's biblical. Now, I know some of us here will have different opinions on baptism. That's fine. But I wanted to take this opportunity to show why I think it comes from the Bible. Because God's promises to households... It's not just a point of doctrine that we've got to kind of rattle our head around. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. The grace we hear about in the answer to that most important question, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever asked that question? Do you know the answer to that question? There's nothing you can do to be saved. But Jesus has done everything so you can be saved. And the question is, will you trust in him? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because you are the God who saves. In our sin, there is nothing we can do to be saved. Without your spirit opening our hearts, we, we won't turn to you. We won't do what is good and or pleasing to you. We can only be saved through Jesus. We thank you so much for the grace you've shown in Jesus, that he lived, died and rose again for us and for our salvation. And we thank you for baptism, the sign and seal of your promises in Jesus. We thank you that in Jesus you wash us clean from sin and you pour out your spirit upon us. For all of us who've been baptised, may we know the joy of sins washed away as we take hold of your promises by the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.